A question asked courageously, answered honestly, and lived authentically can change your whole life. For me, that question was, how can I use what I have, what I love, and what I know to bless the lives of others? The School for Good Living and this podcast are one answer to that question. Hi, I'm Brian Miller. I know that the world can work for everyone, but that it won't until it works for you. I've created this to help you make the difference you were born to make. It's a series of conversations with thought leaders who are moving humanity forward. And in each episode, I explore their lives and the work they do. I also ask them to break down how they've gotten their books written, published, and read. This podcast is all about exploring the magic and mystery, and sometimes the misery, of the creative process. So if you have a mission, a message, and the motivation to share it, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the School for Good Living. Hello, my friends. Today, my guest is Bill Eddy. Bill is the co-founder and training director of the High Conflict Institute. Bill is a unique combination of things, as we all are, but his professional training, his background, the work he's done for the last few decades includes being a lawyer, a therapist, a mediator, an author, and the developer of high conflict personality theory. Bill has written 14 books, Uh, One of the most recent of which is The Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life. I found this book absolutely fascinating, where he breaks down five types of personalities that really can ruin your life, what the percentages are of each, how they seem to be increasing in society, and why. In this conversation, not only does he help us identify them, but learn how to effectively deal with these people, perhaps how to avoid them. We talk about something called a target of blame, what it is, how to avoid becoming one. We talk about what it means to be a negative advocate, how these people can enroll others in their disputes, getting others emotionally hooked while remaining uninformed. Bill talks about the fact that emotion is contagious and how people can use that effectively against us or how we can use that for ourselves to both produce a great experience Uh, and our desired outcomes. Bill talks about why it often makes sense to wait a year before you marry someone, uh, no matter how wonderful they might seem. And in fact, how wonderful they seem could be uh, something to worry about a little bit. Um, Bill talks about enduring patterns of behavior of which we are unaware or others are unaware. We talk about the three factors of personality development. So if you've ever been interested in why people do the things they do, why you do the things you do. Bill is someone who has a deep mastery of human behavior, and he's also a great teacher. So he explains things in simple ways that are highly useful. Um, His answer, by the way, in the enlightening lightning round to the secret of making marriages and other long-term relationships work, I thought was really beautiful. So if you listen through to that point, I think you'll take away something there and all throughout that is really, um, really quite wonderful. So with that, I want to leave you with uh, my thanks for listening, and I hope that you enjoy and benefit from this conversation with Bill Eddy. Bill, welcome to the School for Good Living. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, It's my pleasure. Bill, I want to start with my favorite question. What's life about? (laughs) <laughs> that's a big one. That's, that's more than an hour. <laughs> but I think, I think for me that it's really about people and really about helping people, being helped by people, just you know, kind of growing together, um, 
it's it's just so large, but people are so large, and I, I love people. I love working with people. I love learning about people um, and trying to just be a person in the world. So that's, I guess that's, that's the short answer. <laughs> okay. I love it. Thank you for that. When, when people ask you who you are and what you do, I realize the answer to that question might change depending on who's asking and where are you and that kind of thing. But how do you like to answer that question? Who are you and what do you do? Well, it's, um, it's evolved over my career, but I would say more than anything work-wise that I'm a social worker and a lawyer and a mediator. And putting that together, I really like to help people solve big conflicts um, so they can calm down and grow and move forward. So a lot of the people I work with and deal with are in distress. And, and in many ways, we can really help them. And so I've, I've been in these three different professions. And I think all put together, I've learned so much that I'm happy to share with people. Yeah, that you do have a unique background, and that's a unique combination of skill sets to bring together. Yeah, uh, some, some, I, I always felt that I was um, uh, what they call it, unstable, that I didn't have a consistent job history. And then one day I woke up and found out people like that. They like yeah. having diversity of work experience, life experience. And so suddenly people said, oh, we want you because you're a social worker and a lawyer and a mediator. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Well, and uh, when I reached out to you to request this interview, I know I, I told you that um, I had discovered your book, Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life, uh, when Amazon recommended it to me. Now, I'm not sure what the algorithm was <laughs> basing that on, but I do read a lot of personal growth, uh, a lot of um, spirituality, uh, and, and even business books. But um, I want to ask you about this book. I've read it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I've got to admit, and this is probably not probably not unique, I would think. But when I'm reading this book about these five personality types, the five types of people who can ruin your life, I kept thinking, "Is that me? Is that me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. is that common?" That's not only common, but that's healthy because we need to be constantly reflecting on ourselves and the impact we have on other people. And a lot of what five types of people is about is people who don't reflect on themselves and are kind of stumbling through life in many ways, hurting other people without even realizing it and shortchanging themselves. So looking at ourselves and going, gee, am I one of those folks is actually a very healthy thing to do. Okay. And it probably means you're not one of those folks because you're reflecting on yourself. Okay. I feel better. I'm not convinced entirely, (laughs) but but I appreciate that perspective. And uh, I told a friend about the book as well. And she said, well, what are the five types? And so I, you know, I, I flipped it open and I just read the description of each of the five. And she said, I think that's my mother. I'm buying uh-huh. that book. And she did. She bought the book. I haven't followed up with her. But <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. Who did you write this book for and what did you want it to do for them? Well, basically, I've been working with, as I said, people going through difficult times as a social worker, as a lawyer, as a mediator. A lot of them, um, I really got going with divorce cases and parenting and children in divorce. And so that's been the big focus of my career the last 25 years since I've been a lawyer the last, like, what is it, 20, 
26 years. Yeah. And so a lot is helping individuals, couples, families manage the divorce transition and high conflict divorce in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. But then I got into working with people in the workplace. They said, well, Bill, your tips, your methods, your knowledge could really help in the workplace where there seems to be more what I call high conflict personalities. And so I wrote it to help people recognize high conflict personalities and deal with them differently from what they usually do. Because usually people do really the opposite of what they should yeah. and, and don't realize why things kind of blow up. And yeah. they read the book and they go, oh, okay, now I can calm things down. Yeah. Well, even having a label for that, I mean, as someone who loves language, studies language, uh, and as someone who's been also a student of and fascinated by human behavior, you know, my own and others my entire life, this book gave me some new perspectives and some new tools that I really appreciate. And being able to see, just to have a, a name for something, I mean, as much as I hate to label people, right, there are patterns, as you yeah. point out in the book. And, and once we understand those patterns and can give a name to them. Now we have an access to dealing effectively with them or perhaps avoiding them in, in some cases. And that term HCP, a high conflict personality, was not anything I had thought of before. But in now that I have a name for it, I'm like, man, yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people tell me. They say, oh, yeah, I know about 20 people um, that, that fit that description. And yeah. so it, I think it really does help focus people. But one of the things I want to get out right away is don't tell somebody you think they have a high conflict personality or you think they're an HCP. Why in not? Many, why not? Because yeah. it's, it's really in many ways about people that are blamers yeah. and they're preoccupied with blaming other people and they don't reflect on themselves. Yeah. And so if you say there's something wrong with you, they're going to blame you. And yeah. it may be for hours or days or weeks or months. And you don't want to start that because basically high conflict people seem to focus on a target of blame. Yeah. That's and, another term, by the way, that I had not thought of in your book, but immediately recognized the target of blame. Yeah. And so if you criticize a high conflict person, you're very likely to become their next target of blame. And Targets of blame are most commonly people that were close to, you know, husbands, wives, children, parents, close friends, close neighbor, co-worker that were close to, or people in positions of authority, like police, managers, um, bosses, uh, people that work for the government, things like that. And so they tend to focus everything onto those targets of blame. Yeah. And typically it's one person. And what I've learned because as a lawyer with a social work background is it's someone that they will take to court or they'll mm -hmm. go into an administrative dispute. They'll mm -hmm. involve other people. And it just gets overwhelming. And in many ways, why I wrote this particular book was to help people spot it before they get in yeah. or before they get in too deep. Right. So that's a lot of why I wrote this book. No, that's, that's huge. And, and one of the things that I could see looking back, you know, this wasn't until uh, my mid-30s when, and when I really started to study coaching and, and human behavior and helping people achieve lasting behavioral change. 
is to see that many people seem to create the very situation they then complain about. They engineer it and then they blame other people. And I was like, what is that about? But part of what I thought was really interesting in your book is you talk about not only high conflict personalities, but also then combining those high conflict, the high conflict personalities that also have a personality disorder. Yeah. And it's almost like this is a perfect storm of human behavior to create some real pain in the world. Yes. And I think what's interesting, and I'll explain at some point, is this seems to be increasing in society. And so we're needing to recognize this, watch out, you know, reflect on ourselves and say, wait a minute, am I starting to do something like this? But also learn how to manage people like this, because they're going to be coming up more and more in our lives. And it's, it's important, I think, to have empathy for people with high conflict personalities because they really don't know what they're doing. They don't see their part in it and they feel like victims. They actually think everybody else treats them unfairly and they're just doing what they have to do. Whereas everybody else sees there's not much going on and they're creating their problems. Yes. So that's a lot of what's going on is they don't see what's happening. Yeah. Well, and this whole thing too, and I suspect people listening are like, well, tell me what the five are already, right? And I, and I do want to ask you about that. But this other thing that it really stood out to me, and I was like, light went on when you point out that many people, so they enlist, I yes. think you call it negative advocates. Yes, negative advocates. Right. So the thing that the light bulb that went on is when, you know, these high conflict personalities enroll others in believing that you're the bad person or you're the wrong, you know, you've somehow wronged them. And the thing is that many people will say, wow, if they're that upset, if they're that emotionally charged, then they must be right. And I had, I was like, wow, that was the power of, you know, emotion and conviction to convince and persuade, even when it's totally baseless. It's like, that's a, that's a real interesting nuance for me. Will you talk about that a little bit and what a negative advocate is? Yeah. So, so high conflict people are actually, their interpersonal behavior is dysfunctional. It doesn't go quite right. And so they get criticism. And so since they can't look at themselves, they're looking at that person and no, no, it's your fault. And since you don't just accept that, they try to get other people to come along and say, see, it's his fault. You know, it's all Brian's fault. Come on, you must agree with me. And it's interesting you emphasize the emotional intensity because what happens, it's really emotions are contagious. And high conflict people are often highly emotional, um, maybe highly angry, highly afraid, um, and what they do is they draw other people in and other people get sucked into the emotions of it. And now they're angry or they're afraid. And now they're pointing fingers at you too. And you go, wait a minute. But they, they're emotionally hooked, but uninformed. They don't really know what's going on, but they feel concerned like they have to help you. And so what I want to do is alert people to this dynamic so that they're more, oh, that might be a high conflict person or an HCP, and this might be a negative advocate they've recruited. And I, in many ways, don't have to take it personally because it's not really about me. It's what's going on in their heads. Yeah. And so I want to detach from that, calm the situation, rather than, you know, getting ready to fight. 
And that's what most people do. They get ready to fight. You know, I'm going to show you, buddy. Yeah. And, and, and buddy doesn't know what's going on. And right. so you go, oh, okay, wait a minute, buddy. I think you're kind of off, off track here. Let me give you some suggestions yeah. rather than, you know, let me hit you over the head. Yeah. Well, and part of what I, I mean, so first of all, that idea of this negative advocate and that emotional intensity hooking someone, I love your description. They're emotionally hooked, but uninformed. Yeah. It, it not only like explained some things I've seen, you know, in my own behavior and others, but it also helped me to avoid getting sucked into that role by someone else. Yes. Like, wow. Yes, yes, yes. That's great. And, and I'll tell you, families are really good at doing that, of trying oh. to pull you in. And <laughs> yeah. somebody says, you know, your, your father, tell your father that, um, you know, he's got to pay attention to me more. And it's like mom says to, to Johnny, who's like five years old, tell yeah. your father, you know, he's got to take out the trash or tell your father whatever. And it's like, wait, I'm just a kid, you know? Yeah. And so we, we sometimes get early training in that. And, and we really need to be aware of that. And that's actually a dysfunctional family characteristic when you go through other people to get something done. People just need to be direct. And most people don't really rely on negative advocates to argue their case. Yeah. But high-conflict people do it all the time because what they're doing doesn't work. Yeah. And so they treat pulling more people in. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. And when I hear someone speak on behalf of others, well, yeah. everybody feels that way. You know, it is like, yes. hold on. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can see this. So with this, um, one of the things that you do toward the end of the book is you break down each of these five personality types and, what they, and the fact that each one of them has a worst fear. Yeah, I, And I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit because I think it might be useful uh, to give a thumbnail of what maybe what is each one, but also what's common to them or what's underneath each one. Okay. Well, first of all, let me combine together the high conflict personality and personality disorders because high conflict personalities generally have four characteristics preoccupied with blaming others, a lot of all or nothing thinking, and solutions are often extreme, unmanaged emotions, so the more emotionally intense or at certain times they are, and extreme behaviors. They'll do things that 90% of people would never do, even if they were stressed, tired, etc. So that's their conflict behavior. Personality disorders have been around, you know, like 50 years, mental health professionals have studied them. And personality disorders basically have four characteristics in common. They all have interpersonal difficulty, although different types of that. They all don't reflect on themselves. So they have an enduring pattern of behavior because they don't change. And that's third, they don't change. And the fourth is, they, they see the cause of their problems as outside themselves. Mm -hmm. About half the people with personality disorders don't have targets of blame. They just say, you know, I don't know why life is out to get me or I just have bad luck or whatever. But about half have targets of blame. So those are the high conflict personality disorders. But not all personality disorders are high conflicts. They don't all have targets of blame. Yep. With that said, the five types of people have are high conflict, 
and have traits of one of these five personality disorders. So one of the personality disorders, and people more aware of this these days, is narcissistic personality disorder. And so narcissists generally um, see themselves as very superior to others. And a lot of people go, well, that's okay. But in order to feel superior, they have to put other people down. And I that's wondered, the not okay part. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was curious how long this interview would, would go before certain political leaders came into it. <laughs> but, but I'm going to leave that out. I'm, I'm going to leave that out. That's fine. Well, I, I tell people you'll see this in all the professions, some people, some doctors, some lawyers, but some actors, some politicians, some accountants. You'll find this in every, pop, every occupation. Some people like this. Sure. Um, but this drive to put people down in order to put themselves up doesn't work well. They don't, one thing I want to say is these folks don't really have real friends. And they don't have people that really they have comfortable relationships with. They tend to see all relationships as adversarial. Do they, They're so, always trying to prove something. So even though they might have a low self-awareness, mm-hmm. you, are they aware of that, that they don't have friends per se? They, they're vaguely aware, they're aware of problems, but they're not aware of how they play a part in their problems. Hmm. They go, you know, I lost another friend. You know, you just can't trust people. Yeah. And so they'll, it's always they'll have out another there. reason. They'll have another yeah. reason. It's always somebody else's fault, yeah. you know, or they must have talked to Mary. And, right. and Mary told them, don't hang out with Bill. You know, he's a terrible guy. So... They, they know things are wrong, but they don't really connect the dots of their own behavior. And, and it's sad because they really can't seem to do that. It's a brick wall inside. It's like it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. And you can tell because you say, look, we've got a problem here. What percent do you think is your part? And in a lot of relationships, it's 40 percent, 50 percent. And they'll say zero. And you go, wow, because I see you as the major cause of the problem. But you don't say this out loud. <laughs> right. But, that, but, but they'll really say, like when you're working with people mediating or whatever, and you'll ask yeah. that question and they'll say part, zero. Yeah. You'll say, wow. what, what do you think your part in this is? Absolutely none. It's all his fault. Wow. And, and so that comes out often in the middle of just a regular discussion, and that should alert people. Uh-oh. Yeah. You know, pay attention now. Nexus IT helps companies of all sizes manage their information technology with hyper-responsive, white-glove IT support and services to handle the most basic tasks, like monitoring and maintenance, to the more complex projects like digital transformation. Visit their website at nexusitc.net. You know, although many of us, the people listening, are not necessarily professional mediators and we don't help people resolve conflict for a living, nevertheless, occasionally, at least, we find ourselves in this situation. Right. And, and I'm wondering, and I know this is not probably reducible to a single tip or trick, but when we find ourselves in that capacity, maybe caught between two people or another person and us, what do you find is like the most important thing to remember or something that's very highly useful Well, what I find, and there's little phrases that I tell myself all the time, especially when I'm heading into a high conflict mediation or meeting, and that is it's not about me. Mm. It's these intense uh, emotions, um, the conflict. 
is yeah. really not about me. And so high conflict people will often turn their finger to you and point at you and say, well, you're not helping either. I've had mediations and most of my mediations or divorce mediations are about parenting and, and property. And so, you know, every once in a while I got two high conflict people and they turn to me and they say, Bill, you're not helping. <laughs> and because that's what high conflict people do. And so I know that's probably going to happen at some point. They're not going to mm-hmm. like something. And so I just say, okay, then, you know, what do you suggest we do next? And I keep the focus on the future and the burden on them. Mm-hmm. In other words, don't take it on your shoulder. Don't believe that you're the cause of the problem or that you can cure the problem. This is their problem. They own it. Uh-huh. And, and in many ways, it's to say, look, Talk to each other. I'm, I'm an innocent bystander here. I don't want to be drawn into this. You know, yeah. you're both my friends. I'm not going to take your side against my other friends. Yeah. Or you're both my family. I'm not going to take your side against your side and my family. Now yeah. that, you know, when holidays come up, things like that, people get together. This is an important thing to remember. Don't get, yeah. don't get hooked in. You don't have to. Yeah, that's right. And and I remember, you know, this when you say it this way, I remember when I was younger and I would see a sporting event on TV, like a basketball game or a football game and, uh, you know, six, eight years old and it would, you know, turn to my brother or whoever's in the room. Who do we want to win? So I'm attached. Like I've got to have a side. Right, right, right. And, right. Then, and then it got a little older and I'm like, well, why can't I cheer for them both? <laughs> right. <laughs> why right. do I have to take a side? And so many situations, you really don't have to take sides, even when people want you to. You say, look, you know, you're doing fine. You know, you take care of it. Write them an email or go sit down and talk to them or call them up. Um, but don't go through me. I'm, 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 I'm a friend of both of you, and I wish you well, yeah. and I'm not part of this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that reminds me, too, of, of something that um, I remember I learned from um, the author Marianne Williams, Williamson. When she talked about, and I suppose this is from the book, The Course in Miracle, The Course in Miracles, right. where it's, it's never about what it's about. Mm-hmm. So like this presenting issue, we can get so wound up, we can get so entrenched in our position. And, uh, you know, and, and I remember reading, this is the example that always comes to my mind when I think of this about some story of a, a husband that killed his wife because she made his eggs wrong. And was like, whoa, that is so extreme. And then I think, you know, setting aside whatever perhaps mental illness or history of abuse and neglect was maybe there, that there's also a whole interpersonal history. And it wasn't just because of the eggs that morning. Exactly. It's not about the eggs. Okay. So, and and we were flowing on what are the, what are the, what's in common and what's underneath these and what are the types. And then I I interrupted, but if you'd be willing to go back there. Yeah. So, so if you just like start with narcissistic personality in terms of what's underneath and they're not conscious of it, but there's a drive to prove themselves as superior because in many ways they feel inferior or they feel powerless and helpless. And so they overcompensate by puffing themselves up. It's like a puff bird. I've seen pictures of this little tiny bird that puffs itself up to like eight inches across instead of two inches across. And and that's what they're doing in, in trying to help themselves. And they tend to truly believe they're superior. They've convinced themselves. But what's really difficult is to do that They alienate the people around them, and rather than people thinking they're superior, people start thinking they're a real fool. 
you know, well, that guy's, you know, he's not special. He's just like everybody else, only maybe even less than everybody else because he can't see that he's being ridiculous. Um, So so narcissists want to be seen as superior, end up often being seen as inferior and disrespected. Mm-hmm. And a quick tip is narcissists do a lot of insulting and disrespectful comments. The temptation is to do them right back, right. and it's better not to. It's just don't engage with that and mostly just ignore it because it's not about you. It's what's going on in their own head. Yeah, and, and on that point too, by the way, this was another thing I thought was a really keen insight that you write about in the book about one of the ways perhaps to, not that we're diagnosing people, but to get a sense of if we're around this kind of person, a high conflict person, is how we feel when we're around them. Yes. And I was like, that is a really interesting nuance. Will you talk about why that, like, why that would help us or why that matters? Well, I'll, I'll give a good example. One day, you know, I was meeting with law clients and I'm driving home from work and I was actually feeling pretty incompetent thinking, you know, I'm kind of stupid at my work. I don't know. I'm not very good at it. I'm not sure of what I'm doing. And I go, wait a minute. I've been practicing law for 10 years. I'm good at what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And I said, wait a minute. Did I have a narcissist today? Was there a narcissist in my caseload today? And I worked, oh, yeah, 10 o'clock, I had a narcissist. And he was like looking down his nose at me and everybody else. And I absorbed that. So our emotions, and really a lot of this is about unseen emotions. We absorb emotions from them because they're expressing more emotions. And the emotions that narcissists are often expressing are how disdainful they feel towards everybody else. Um, There's a saying that they can suck all the oxygen out of a room, um, that they look down on people. So how you feel may be a warning sign. Uh Uh-oh, I'm dealing with someone who thinks they're superior, and I've got to be on my toes so I don't fall into any traps, like insulting them back or thinking I'm stupid. Right. You know, I, I don't, uh, I don't think of myself as one who, who goes in for what I look at and I don't mean to judge, but kind of new agey, you know, belief systems, uh, maybe some, <laughs> but, <Okay. laughs> but where I'm going with this <laughs> whatever is whatever works. Yeah. Whatever works. Right. And, and I know that even the placebo effect can be powerful. So that what we choose to believe and, you know, hold in our minds and that has a real effect. But where I'm going with this is when I hear that, you know, one of the techniques that, that I've learned in my life about, I don't know, keeping our energetic body clean. So maybe as a way you could describe it is this whole thing about imagining that we're, we're protected somehow by a sphere of golden light or something like that. And I'm wondering, uh-huh. in your experience, is this kind of like mental imaging, uh, is, it, is it actually effective? Well, it's interesting with when I'm going into a meeting or a mediation with high conflict people, I, I, I call this putting on my armor is reminding myself, Bill, remember, it's not about you. If they turn and say it's all your fault, it's not, um, because that's just something that high-conflict people say. Um, Often the issue's not the issue, like you were saying, you know, Marianne Williamson says. Um, Also, I'm not responsible for their outcome. And even though they're paying me to mediate their dispute, I'm mediating, I'm assisting them, but they still own the dispute. I never Mm. own the dispute and become responsible for fixing it. I can only assist them because they're going to play a big part in whether things get better or not. 
Um, Also, often high conflict people pull you into a power struggle. It's like, well, I don't want to do that. And you say, well, you have to do that. And they'll say, well, I'm not going to do that. I say, well, you have to do that. And what we've learned is don't get into those power struggles. Turn it into a choice and then say it's up to you. Say, well, that's fine. You don't have to do that, but then I'm not going to, you know, be able to pay you or I'm not going to be, I'm not going to continue you working on this project Um, or someone else isn't going to respect you if you do that. Sure, it's up to you. You can do that, but it's not going to accomplish what you want. And so it's up to you. And that way you don't take it on and you don't feel like you have to make them do something they're not going to do is say, you have a choice. If you choose A, I think that's great, and, and I'm happy to keep working with you on this project. If you choose B, you know, I'm not the person for you. Yeah. And so it's up to you. I can't make you do something, but I can choose what I do. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, so I want to ask this here while we're on it, too, sure. about you give this guideline that I thought would probably save a lot of people a lot of pain if they observed, which is this kind of one-year guideline. Maybe yes. before they marry, before they, I don't know how you employ it in a professional sphere and that kind of thing, but will you talk <laughs> about what that is? What's the thinking behind it? What's the potential benefit? Well, what happens is these high-conflict personalities, they, they are troublesome, and they know at some level that they're troublesome. So they often put on what I call a sugar coating. And so they come on as super charming, super friendly, super nice, and everything's wonderful. And so you, you get kind of seduced by this sugar-coated personality, and they really try to um, impress you with how wonderful they are because down the road, things are going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to think of it that it's kind of like above the water and below the water. And the higher they are above the water, the deeper they are below the water. And so the, the most perfect person is probably going to be one of the most dangerous people mm-hmm. because no one's perfect. Right. Um, it's too good to be true. Probably yeah. is. Uh, but that's, it seems to be kind of a defense mechanism that goes with the personality pattern that they've learned enough that people might not like them. And no. so they try harder to make people like them. But unfortunately, what they can't see it is, is it's not the sugar coating that's the problem. It's the abusive behavior that they do. And that often comes out within three to six to nine months, like in a dating relationship. Let's say someone who commits domestic violence. I know of a lot of cases where the first six months were great, and then the person started, you know, pushing or hitting or things like that. So within a year, usually you get to see that other side, that part that's beneath the surface. Um, but you know, uh, some some people like rush. They want to let's you know we're wonderful. Let's get married. Let's go now. Let's go to the courthouse. We'll be happy forever. And uh, my grandparents got married after they knew each other for three weeks. So why don't we do that? Yeah. The trouble is with high conflict personalities, you really need to get to know them more. And there weren't as many high conflict personalities when your grandparents got married after three weeks. And some grandparents that got married after three weeks hated each other for the next 30 years. 
Right? <laughs> yeah. There's no virtue in being in a, a marriage where both parties or even one party is miserable, I think. Right, so, right. Yeah. And in the past, that that happened a lot more than in the present. Yeah. Um, but now we don't know who we're getting involved with. We don't have yeah. the community, the family that can say, wait a minute, I've known that guy since he was 12 and he's bad news. Yeah. So we don't have that. So that's why yeah. the wait a year if you're dating before you get married, have a child, buy a house together. Some people say, well, should you live together Um and and what I would say is it's a question of how big a commitment you've made. If you're if you're buying a house together to live together, but you're not sure if you're committed to the relationship, mm-hmm. you might want to hold off on buying that house. You know, rent a place for a year, and uh, and don't buy a lot of furniture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or maybe a pet. <laughs> a maybe. pet, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So let me ask you this. Um, will you talk a little bit about what are the percentages that we're, t- that we're talking about here? And I've heard you say, and you write it in the book, that it's increasing. It seems to be increasing. Why? Yeah. Okay. Well, percentage-wise, and actually, if I talk about all five, I should briefly okay. comment the others. But sure. they Let's say that, that narcissist is about 6% of the adult population of the U.S. Okay. Bor- borderline high-conflict personalities is one characterized by wide mood swings and sudden and intense anger just out of nowhere. And then the next day, everything's fine. And so they, they have a hard time regulating their emotions. They're mm-hmm. on a scale of zero to 100, they're either at zero or 100. Um, and that borderline personality is, is, is a fear, has a fear of abandonment. And so they tend to cling to people, um, but people don't like that. And so they tend to push back and they cling harder. And then the person does say, okay, well, I'm out of here. And then they get into a rage. And that's where we see some domestic violence in, in families is the person who's committing the violence is afraid to lose their partner. And you go, why are they hitting this person? Why don't they just leave? And they're, they're trying to control that person so they're not abandoned. And it's kind of distorted logic, which is under that one. That personality is also around 6% of the U.S. population. And I see that in a lot of high-conflict divorce cases. And by the way, all of these folks, if you go far enough, they're in in our own families and in our own neighborhoods. And it's not, they're, they're part of us. Uh, and I'll get to why this yeah. is happening. What, what's that saying? We have seen the enemy and it is us. Is it <laughs> us? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so we need to understand this just like alcoholics are part of us. People with high conflict personalities are part of us. And we have to learn how to manage them differently, but not reject them. And we'll, I'll talk about that. Anyway, a third is antisocial personality disorder. This also one's scary. known as, as sociopath. What was that? This one's, I find this one very scary. Yes, and, and, it, and you should, because actually antisocial personality can be very dangerous. Um, these include, you know, a, a similar term as sociopath. They're about 4% of the U.S. population, about one out of 25 people. Um, they're willing to break the rules to get what they want. They like 
to, to dominate people and they are fear of being dominated. So they're constantly dominating others to feel like they have power and control over other people because that's the only time they feel comfortable. It's when they're controlling other people and that's not a good way to live. Um, this personality can be the most charming personality in the world. And that's what's paradoxical about it. A, a great example was Ted Bundy, um, who I think I mentioned in the book. And he was great at making people think he's charming and wonderful. And then he killed, I think, over 30 women. And he did it. One of the, the classic things he did is he had a cast for his arm and a cast for his leg. And he'd put them on and he'd go like to a college campus and he'd find a woman who was sitting away from a group reading something like that. And he'd start walking by and he'd spill his books. And so, oh, can you help me? You know, I've got this broken leg here. And they, oh, sure, pick up the books, you know, and my car's over here. Oh, okay. And they walk over to the car. Could you just put them in the back seat? Open the back door, puts them, bends over to put in the back seat. He shoves her in the car, and then she shows up dead a, a, a few days later. Total con, total con artist. And people have to realize there are people with that personality out there. And they will do this. It's a con to hurt you. They want something from you. And it's like they want what they want and they want it now. Their worst fear is to be dominated and half of them end up in prison <laughs> wow. where they're going to be dominated. So it's, it's another paradox. They're about 4%. Um, uh, histrionic personality is about 2% of society, very emotional, dramatic. They, they, they won't let you go. They want to tell your story. They want to be the center of attention. And they, they way overreact to things. If you have a family member like this, everything's terrible. Oh, my God, you're killing me. You're killing me. You're going out tonight. Oh, I'm going to die tonight. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of emotions there. And then a paranoid personality disorder which is about 4.5% of society, of adults. And so this personality is fearful of conspiracies being out to get them, their friends betraying them, all of that. And they're also so intense and so suspicious that their friends want to get away from them um, and don't trust them. Uh, they think people are whispering about them, and sometimes they are because they know how upset they get. Yeah, that, that's um, exactly that thing about, you know, we, we create the very situation that we complain yeah. about or we, or we want to avoid paradoxically. And, yes. and then it can just amplify, you know, that, pers that, per that reality or at least the, that perceived reality. Yeah, and, and it's sad because their problem is they have an enduring pattern of behavior that they cannot see. And that's, that's really, and people go, let me hit you over the head with how awful you are. And yeah. that does not work. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let me ask you this, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm perpetually, like perennially fascinated by the paradoxes that we seem to live with unaware, right? Yeah. And we're unaware. And, and so one of them is this, I love this idea that if you ask people, is it true? People change. You know, most people say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course people change. And then you say, well, can a leopard change its spots? Or do you agree with that? A leopard can change its spots. Most people are like, oh yeah, a leopard can change its spots. And these two ideas. So where I'm going with this whole thing is 
can these people change? Or is this like an innate, you know, inborn characteristic that kind of they live unknowingly uh, their whole life? They're condemned to live, so to speak. Most people at this point in time with personality disorders, because it's an enduring pattern, most with this enduring pattern don't change. And that's something super hard to accept. Um, it's especially hard to accept in families where you just so desperately want the person to change so you can have a, a, a better time with them. Um, so it's personalities are fairly stable across a lifetime. Yep. If you work at it, you can change your personality. But people with personality disorders don't work at it because they don't self-reflect. They go, I don't have a problem. Bill, you think I need counseling? You need counseling, you know? Yeah. So it's, 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 they're stuck. And that's why they don't have friends. They have often family members that will help them out, but they're really tired of it, yeah. but they'll do it. So, so I want to say, the first thing I want to say is most don't seem to change because they don't even try. Yeah. It's well, what, just what a not gift. in their repertoire. What a gift they give the rest of us to learn acceptance. <laughs> yes. And so much, it's, it's strange. I do a lot of consultation. I do like 30-minute or 60-minute consultations for people in all these different situations. And one of the most common is, will the person change? Or what can I do to make them change? And after they've explained their situation, and I've talked about the personalities, I'll say, it sounds to me like you're dealing with someone who's not going to change. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, what do you want to do, given that they're not going to change? Is this someone you're willing to kind of live with, but cope with, manage differently? And that's a lot of what the book's about, how to manage the relationship. Or... Is this one where you need to get out of the relationship? And I yeah. talk about that too. And that, that to me is such an interesting, I see it as an interesting challenge because I happen to believe, and I'm not saying you don't, but in, you know, that I like to think of myself as a stand for the innate greatness of everyone. And mm -hmm. this idea of the Pygmalion effect or the Golem effect, you know, that they'll rise to the level of expectation we have for them and so forth and, and wanting to support and believe in the very best but at the same time, just accepting that they are who they are, they're not who they're not. You know, how do yeah. you find the how do you find a way to effectively navigate that? Well, I think first of all, I want to say some some will change. And there's now therapies like borderline personality disorder. There's a method called dialectical behavior therapy, known as DBT. And that's having a lot of success with the people who invest themselves in it for a few years. They really work on calming their emotions, um, putting things in perspective, uh, all, all of this, that there are skills they learn to manage themselves and somehow grow the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. I'm um, glad to know that. I really am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's exciting to see uh, people. There's, there's a book that... Um, the uh, people I work with uh, published uh, with our High Conflict Institute and our, our Unhooked Books as an affiliate organization called the, the Big Book of Borderline Personality Disorder. And it's by a young woman who had borderline personality disorder, but for the last nine years has really 
uh, been in treatment, turned it around, and is reflecting on herself and wrote the book about why I am, why I was the way I was and how I learned to change. Wow. And that's very, it's very inspiring. Yeah. Now, I want to add that um, narcissistic personality, histrionic personality, paranoid personality are much less likely to get into counseling. But if they do, they can make some progress. Mm-hmm. The one that's the least likely to change is the antisocial personality. And that, there's a lot of evidence, is in many cases inborn. And that people are born this way. This, this is often in the criminal population, uh, the con artists, the people that will hurt you, yeah. um, maybe for their own pleasure. That, that personality is, it's helpful to know, is the least likely to change yeah. and the most dangerous, although they all can be dangerous. Thanks for listening to part one of my talk with Bill Eddy. Isn't he great? Tune in to the next episode for part two as we continue the conversation. Despite living in an age where we have more comforts and conveniences than ever before, life isn't working for many people. Whether it's in the developed world, where we're dealing with depression, anxiety, addiction, divorce, jobs we hate, relationships that don't work, or people in the developing world who don't have access to clean water or sanitation or healthcare or education or who live in conflict zones. There's a lot of people on the planet that life isn't working very well for. If you're one of those people, I invite you to connect with me at goodliving.com. I've created Life's Best Practices Breakthrough Coaching to help you navigate the transitions that we all go through. Whether you've just graduated school, you're going through a divorce, you just got married, you're headed into retirement, you're starting a business, you just lost your job, whatever it is you're facing, I've developed a 36-week course that you go through with me and a community of achievers and seekers who are committed to improving their own lives and the lives of others. So through this online program, you will have the opportunity to go deep into every area of your life, explore life's big questions, create answers for yourself in community get clarity and accountability. If that's something you're interested to learn about, I invite you to contact me directly at brian at briamiller.com or by visiting goodliving.com.